Hey everybody, I'm Ashton Demery. And I'm Nicole Demery. And welcome to our Atheist Bible Study. Where I take a sip of whatever you're drinking when we say that they were a bad or evil king. Yeah. Because we care about your hydration. <laughs> or every time there's a king that has almost the identical name of a king ruling right before him or at the same time as him. Or anytime somebody rips their shirt off. Yeah. Okay, so we're starting in Second Kings uh, at chapter 13. So where we left off before, uh, we had Athaliah was our first female leader we've had so far in the Bible. And if you believe any of this book, and we don't, she wasn't very good. And then she is relieved of her duties by Joash. And then we get the rule of Joash where he did some work on the temple and was generally unmemorable. Mm-hmm. And now we are on to Jehoahaz. Yeah, so Jehoahaz reigns over Israel. He was bad, take a sip. (laughs) Then Jehoash reigns after him. He was also bad, take a sip. Then we have the death of Elisha. So Elisha was like our, you know, new prophet man. He's lying on his bed, dying, and the king approaches him crying, saying, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And you know, we don't know if these are cursing or yeah, words of comfort. No idea what that means. <laughs> so then Elisha tells him to take out a bow and arrow and to shoot out the window with like little to no explanation. So King goes over to the window. He starts shooting arrows out of it. He does it like three times. And then he's like, okay, I feel a little silly. Like, what am I doing? And then Elijah's just like, you idiot. Like all of those were victories. You should have kept shooting. Now you're only going to win three times. And then, um, then he dies. Yeah. Yeah, he gives him no explanation. It's just yeah. like, start shooting your arrow. He's like, how, right, how long do I got to keep doing this? It's just like, dumb. you like, I'm not- <laughs> just destroyed the kingdom. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and then he dies. <laughs> yeah. Just completely fucks him over right before he dies. Yeah. And then we get this short little story about Elijah's burial, where a man was being buried over the top of Elijah's grave, and he comes back to life. Yeah. His last cool trick. Yeah. <laughs> also, we talked a lot about the date inconsistencies in our last episode. This time I'm not going to go over them all. There's at least a few of them that don't look like they line up to me. But instead of you know going through all like the tedious stuff like that, if you are interested in it, it's pretty clear to see if you draw out the two timelines of Israel and Judah. I still don't get why you're asking people to do that. No one's going to do that. <laughs> I just, if, if they want to prove it. Okay. <laughs> or they can take my word that the dates don't work. <laughs> okay. Uh, so Israel recaptures cities from Aram. And then there's sort of this like back and forth with Aram where they gain cities, lose cities over and over again. Um, Amaziah reigns over Judah. He was okay, but he still made offerings in high places. Um, and then there's sort of, I mean, what shouldn't be confusing, but it's confusing because it's the Bible. It talks about how he didn't kill the children of his father's, uh, sorry, he doesn't kill the children of his father's murderers. And we're not sure. It's confusing if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, in this case, it seems to be a good thing. They're saying that... They're saying that Moses said everyone should be put to death for their own sins, so that we, we shouldn't be killing children. But in the past, they definitely right. said you should it, be killing children for parents' sins. It was a part of the Levitical laws that they shouldn't do that. But 
all of that only applies to Israelites. So if you fail to kill women and children of the Canaanites or the Hittites or any of the other ones, then God's going to be really ticked because they don't count. Yeah. And then I don't think it graphs the rest of the story. So my notes just say, let Ash explain the rest of it. <laughs> yeah. Other than that, he you know goes around and uh, does some damage over in Edom, takes some lands back. Then he, at some point, gets to run in his mouth, and he starts talking trash to Joash over in Israel, and he tells Joash to come out and meet him in battle. I don't know how old Joash is at that point, but maybe we should have checked that. I wonder if he's like still like 14 at this mm. point. <laughs> um, but Joash gives him some trash talk right back, just totally burns him. It's like, look, why don't you just, you got some lands in Edom, why don't you kind of ride high on on your wins right now and stop while you're ahead. You don't need to die today. But he's not having any of that, so he decides to go out and meet him in battle. And he loses. Joash wins. And they capture Amaziah and lay siege to Jerusalem. And Joash later dies and it gets replaced by his son Jeroboam. So somehow Amaziah loses but outlives Joash. And he lives like another 15 years and then his people conspire against him and kill him and get succeeded by his oldest son, Azariah, who is 16. Okay. All right. So Jeroboam too reigns over Israel. He was bad. Take a sip. Then Azariah reigns over Judah. He was like Amaziah. So he was somewhat good, but he still didn't remove the high places. Right. And then... Zechariah reigns over Israel. Bad, take a sip. Shalom reigns over Israel. Also bad, take a sip. <laughs> Some guy named Menahem sacks this place called Tip- Tipsa because they didn't open it for him. And so he just starts ripping open all the pregnant women. And then that guy reigns over Israel. And you guessed it. He was bad, take a sip. Yeah. There's another point here where they talk about a prophecy back in First Kings 15 where Jehu is only supposed to rule for like three generations or something like that. So ultimately, Uzziah or Azariah, the name is used interchangeably, ends up getting like conspired against and kind of overthrown by a different lineage. Okay. Pekahiah reigns over Israel. Bad, take a sip. Pekah reigns. He was bad, take a sip. Jotham, he was good. But high places were still not removed. Then Ahaz reigns over Judah. Bad. Take a sip. Made his sons pass through fire. That's a note that I took. Most of these are bad, and then it's like all for the general reasons of being yeah. bad. Like not tearing down the high places is a big one for all of these, as well as like worshiping the pole that Moses put up with like the serpent. Right. Yeah. Usually it's Israel is bad in like a bunch of ways, and then Judah usually just doesn't remove the high places. And there's a couple of instances, I think there was two of them, where they mentioned the making their sons walk through fire mm-hmm. as something above and beyond the other bad stuff. Yeah. Hoshi reigns over Israel. Evil, take a shot. Israel carried captive to Assyria. So Assyria invades and captures some Samaria. And this is because Israel won't do the things God wants. Right. So then Assyria resettles Samaria, and Samaria is repopulated with outsiders, um, but they don't follow God, so he sends lions after them. Yeah. 
which just feels like a bad bet on God's part. Yeah. He somehow assumed that he was going to bring in a bunch of randos and they were going to do better than the Israelites. Yeah. (laughs) And then they don't. So now he's what going to punish them for it. Yeah. So the king of Assyria demands that a priest be sent uh, to Samaria so that the people can learn how to appease like the God of that land. Mm -hmm. So this kind of works. They do start worshiping God, but they also just keep with their own gods. Right. So something I wanted to talk about here is we're getting into, as we get later in Kings, I, I would say the, I wouldn't necessarily say the accuracy improves so much as we get closer to events which can be somewhat verified, mm-hmm. either with archaeology or with extra biblical evidence. So what we're getting to now is what's known as the Assyrian exile, in which the kingdom of Israel gets taken over by Assyria, which at the time was like the you know, greatest empire in all of the Near East. So they, this is the Neo-Assyrian Empire. And one piece of evidence they have for it is the Babylonian Chronicles. So the Babylonian Chronicles record that Shalmaneser V attacked Samaria around this time period. And Assyrian cuneiform also records Sargon II, who, was, who came after Shalmaneser V. He took... 27,000 captives, allegedly, from Samaria, and then he filled the city with deportees. So this is all a part of what the Neo-Assyrian Empire used as a a resettlement plan. So it helped to, in their very large empire, improve political stability by moving people around and kind of intermixing them in such a way that they couldn't really get strong political uprisings, and also it allowed them to help to push different cultural movements they were trying to do. If they're trying to build great cities, right, they can move more architects and different types of artisans to those areas to utilize that. And then, at least by the biblical tradition, we have no idea what actually happened, but the Israelites never returned to Israel. So this is what's known as like the 10 lost tribes of Israel. In reality, you know, they didn't remove all of them from Israel, so they're not really lost. They just sort of intermixed, and that had been going on for thousands of years already. And I'll go ahead and talk about it now. There's also the Babylonian exile, which we're going to be coming to shortly, and that is the kingdom of Judah, which, as we said, is kind of the main, they're the, the more important kingdom as far as kings is concerned. It was set in the southern kingdom of Judah and written by priests of Judah. So the Babylonian exile occurs when the Neo-Babylonian Empire comes to power. They become the preeminent power in the region, and they take over Judah, they sack Jerusalem, and they exile the people, or some of them at least, from the land. And again, it's more or less historical. It's corroborated by the Babylonian Chronicles. They describe the king of Babylon as seizing Jerusalem, taking home tribute, and appointing a new governor or king. And then there's also recorded ration tablets where we're going to talk about Jehoiachin soon and how he gets kind of like held captive by the king of Babylon. And they have recordings of like basically expenditures for the rations for him and his family. There's also archaeological evidence that shows that there was a lot of destruction going on this time period suggesting the attacks that are described. Cool. 
So then Hezekiah's reign over Judah, this guy is good, and he removes the high places. Unlike everybody else, he also breaks the bronze serpent that Moses made because the fact that people were worshipping it. And he also rebels against Assyria and attacks Philistines, which are all good things in God's eyes. Yeah, which is interesting because I've like never... I definitely have heard the name, but I did not know anything about this guy before. Yeah, you would think he'd be more significant, especially since he's like breaking like a long chain of all bad kings. Right. Well, and also, I mean, we had Zechariah, which I assume the name Zachary comes in some way from that. Mm -hmm. So I would have thought Zechariah would have been a more prominent and good king. And instead, he's just another, you know, one of the long list of bad kings in here. So it's interesting that you still hear that name. Yeah. So Sennacherib? Yeah, I have no idea on that one. Okay, Sennacherib invades Judah. So the king of Assyria confronts them. Uh, Hezekiah immediately backs down and says that he has done wrong, so he will do whatever he asks. Which is like an interesting approach to um, being confronted. So the king of Assyria asks for 300 talents of silver and 30 gold. Hezekiah ransacks everything, including the temples, to make this payment. And then king Assyria sends some of his people to meet with Hezekiah's people outside of the city. So king Assyria's people asks Hezekiah's people like where they're getting all this confidence from. They assume it's from Egypt, and they say that if it is Egypt, that Egypt will backstab anyone that they work with. They also kind of heckle them and say that, you know, their confidence can't be coming from the Lord because Hezekiah was the one who was tearing down their places of worship. And then Hezekiah's people start to get nervous. So they ask them to speak in a different language so the people in the city can't understand what they're talking about. So then King Hezekiah's people say, has our master sent us to talk to only you and your king and not your own people who are doomed to eat their own shit and drink their own piss? Paraphrasing a little bit there, but um, yeah, pretty hardcore line for the Bible. So then he then he starts shouting at the people themselves, like talking to the people directly, saying, "You know, you shouldn't believe Hezekiah. Um, don't believe him when he says that he can protect you." And then he invites all of them to come outside of the city and join him, and promises them, you know, all the stuff that people of biblical times loved, like milk and honey, and olive oil. All that good stuff. Yeah. They also say that no other gods have been able to deliver them out of uh, his hand and that their God will be no different. But the people were commanded beforehand to be silent. So they don't say anything or do anything. And so that's kind of the end of that. And then Hezekiah's people go back to him and tell him what was said. And this really worries him. He gets very stressed out and he rips his shirt. Take a sip. (laughs) Isaiah tells him not to worry because God will put a spirit into the king of Assyria and he'll hear some rumor and return back to his land. Yeah. It's surprisingly disciplined for a group of people that's constantly being said to be undisciplined and not following the rules. Mm-hmm. Man, they manage to all stay silent and not take up the offer of milk and honey. <laughs> they're just like, I just can't imagine they can all hear him that clearly either. So it's yeah, like, really- what? they're gonna hear you it's like they're all the way behind the the goddamn wall yeah (laughs) what are you talking about it's also yeah it it was a weird jump from he's giving in to all his demands to now he's being confronted as if he's still rebelling 
Yeah, it's... It was, like, kind of confusing. It felt like two stories just kind of, like, jetted up against each other. I know. I'm getting to the point with Bible stories where stuff like that doesn't even phase me anymore, where they just, like, like switch, yeah. like, take a hard left. It's just like, oh, okay, yeah, this was the story all along, I guess. Like, <laughs> I guess so. Also, I think it's interesting, you know, they talk about Egypt, you know, you can't, like, trust them, they'll backstab you. And it also really suggests that they couldn't protect you if they wanted to. And that's because at this time, you know, we usually, especially in the Bible, think of Egypt at the time as being, like, the big dog you know, they're mm-hmm. like the most powerful kingdom around. But at this time, the Neo-Assyrian Empire is the most powerful, and they've taken over large swaths of Egypt. So Egypt really could not do much to protect them from Assyria at this point. And we'll see it a little bit more. There's not a lot of negativity towards Assyria and Babylon in ways that we've had, like, you know, descriptions of the Hittites and the Canaanites mm-hmm. and all of them. And we almost, like... Hezekiah looks weak and the people of Judah look weak in how they're like handling all of this. And it's because of this whole, like from the, from the priest perspective, Babylon and Assyria are sort of godly like punishment for Judah. Like they're kind of something brought down from God to punish them. Mm -hmm. And so they don't really have the sense that, you know, these are bad people doing bad things to us. These are like, this is God's punishment. This is what you guys are owed and what you deserved for not following it. And to promote the propaganda, this is why you should follow all the things that we're saying and laying out in here Mm -hmm. as the rule of God. Yeah. So, okay, so Hezekiah is like, he's feeling okay after Isaiah tells him that God is going to do the whole spirit rumor thing. Um, But then another guy sends word to Hezekiah, Hezekiah that he should be worried about the king of Assyria. So this sends him in a spiral again. So he goes into this lengthy prayer slash like begging session to the Lord to save them. And then the Lord kind of gives this like really long winded song. And then at the end says that he will not allow the king of Assyria to take them because of his promises to David. He says that he's going to take Jerusalem and you're going to be exiled and all that stuff but I'm also going to protect Jerusalem. And it's like, well, how are you really protecting Jerusalem if you're allowing them to come in and sack the city and then be exiled from it? Mm -hmm. But he also notes that from Jerusalem, there's going to be like a remnant that goes out and will eventually return, which contrasts with what we talked about for Israel. Israel will will never return as far as the Bible is concerned. Mm -hmm. So... Then we get an angel. He goes out and kills a bunch of Assyrian soldiers out in the camp. And then the king of Assyria is killed by his sons. Which I feel like it's been a while since we've seen any, like, angel involvement. Yeah. Other than just, like, maybe talking to somebody. Right. But like a, like a deadly angel. Then Hezekiah is told that he's going to die because he's pretty sick. Um, so again, he prays to God and then he ends up being granted 15 more years. Um, and then there's this whole thing where he's, he's told he's going to get 15 more years, but he's not sure when that's going to start or something or if it's true. So they're looking out for a sign from God and there's, um, like what is essentially a sundial thing happening with the shadow. Um, and it, it retreats a little bit and moves in ways that they is not expected and so this is the sign from god that his word is going to be true 
Yeah. For one, we, we have another instance of God changing his mind. And he, he said initially that you will not recover, or at least that was the message he was given from, uh, what was the priest's name? The, what's their new priest? Isaiah. Isaiah. The message from Isaiah was, you will not recover. So either Isaiah's lying or God changed his mind. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, you know, because Hezekiah groveled and he loves that. He does love some groveling. Yeah. And then when Isaiah tells him you're going to get another 15 years, he basically says like, okay, well, I need you to prove that, which is interesting because he didn't have him prove that he wasn't going to get another 15 years initially. Like he was like, you're going to die. He's like, well, that must be true. Yeah, that seems to be the case, actually. <laughs> and he's like, well, actually, you cried a lot, and that was really sad to watch. So you're going to get another 15 years. And he's like, prove it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's when he does the the sign to show him that he was, that, that really is going to happen. Yeah. All right, so the king of Babylon hears that Hezekiah is dying, so he sends over a bunch of gifts, Um and like while these people are bringing over the gifts, Hezekiah shows them his entire house. And when he's talking about it with Isaiah, Isaiah is like, yeah, so, um, you know, what did you do when those people came? He was like, oh, I showed them everything. And then Isaiah is really upset by this and predicts that everything in his house, everything in Hezekiah's house will be carried off to Babylon someday, including some of his sons who will be made into eunuchs. And Hezekiah is like, well, as far as I'm concerned... That sounds like a good thing <laughs> because it means peace while I'm around. And I don't really care what happens after I die. Yeah. Full boomer. <laughs> well, I'll be dead. Yeah. <laughs> so then uh, Hezekiah does die. And Menasseh reigns over Judah. He is 12 when he starts to reign and he reigns for 55 years. It's prime age for a young king. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and he basically reverses everything Hezekiah did. So he was bad. Take a sip. <laughs> and then because he did such evil things, God, <laughs> God is going to make everybody's ears tingle. I knew you'd love that. As <laughs> soon as I read it, I was like, Nicole is going to love, love saying that everybody's ears are going to tingle. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's just a funny word. Tingle. Yeah. That's really what I think we should make that a tagline for our podcast, right? The podcast that. Makes make your ears, ears tingle. tingle. Yeah. <laughs> um, so basically the ear tingling promise is that he's going to destroy all of them. And then Menasa dies. And Amon reigns over Judah. He was also bad. Take a sip. Josiah reigns over Judah. He is eight at the start of his reign. Uh, he only reigns for 31 years, though, and he was good. So hold that drink. Yeah. So a couple of things to say here. Uh, we talked about Manasseh. In fact, he's really, really bad. They talk about him also doing a bunch of extra things like making his son pass through fire, building altars inside the temple, practicing soothsaying and augury, dealing with mediums and wizards. Wizards! And one of my favorite things is that he also goes to Assyria at some point and sees what the Assyrian king has in his like temples and stuff and he's like that's like really cool what you got there like those statues you got set up so he builds identical ones inside (laughs) god's temple so he's like these are badass god will love this he did not (laughs) and then probably more important part here is we get a retelling of some of the prophecies if you remember back to david and what david gets told 
is he gets told, in this house in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. I will not cause the feet of Israel to wander any more out of the land that I gave to their ancestors, if only they will be careful to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to the law that my servant Moses commanded them. So that's what this chapter of the Bible says was told to David. If you look back to 2 Samuel, though, that's not the original covenant that God gave to David. The original one, he tells him, I will punish him with a rod, I will not take away, but I will not take away my steadfast love from him. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So you'll notice there's no conditional in there. There's no requirement for David or his descendants to be good kings or to follow his, his word. It's that they will be the kings forever. And this suddenly says otherwise. It says that I wouldn't, I would, I would do this if they actually like followed what I said. And then we get a, another version of this covenant later with Solomon, where when Solomon screws it up, he changes his covenant and says, well, I'm going to split away part of the kingdom, and but I'm going to keep something for you here in Judah forever. Again, not conditional. So a, a retelling of the, the whole, like I mean, kind of a central covenant in this portion of the Bible. Yeah, so then this man named Hilkiah, he finds the book of the law. So someone is sent to count all the money, and they end up finding the book of laws. I guess it was just tucked away somewhere under all that money that they had. Yeah. Um, they read it aloud, and Josiah rips his clothes off. Take a sip. <laughs> he wants everyone to start following these rules immediately. And he does the mental math and figures out that that's why they've all been punished for all these years. It's because they're not following these things that they're supposed to be doing. Who would have thought? Right? (laughs) So, Um, Oh, oh, I was just going to say, so then God is thrilled with this reaction and this realization on Josiah's part. um, And so he decides that he's not going to destroy them. Yeah. At least not yet. Not yet. And I might change my mind. (laughs) Um, So it's important to remember this is the... This is the central basis for all of the Deuteronomistic history, which we've been hyping up since Deuteronomy all the way through First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. Josiah is the basis for all of that. We heard the prophecy earlier with the priest uh, a couple episodes ago saying that Josiah would come, and he's the one who is supposed to do this great reformation and make everybody do the things that they were supposed to do all along. And all of this is meant to be propaganda to support his reforms and the ideas that he had. Yeah. And it's really funny to (laughs) consider the idea that God is like talking to all these prophets and giving messages to all these kings this whole time. And somehow like they just didn't know all the rules. That's what the problem was. (laughs) Yeah, it's because it was all written down in a book that they lost. Yeah. Somebody misplaced. So like you said, yeah, Josiah, he gets all the olds together, um, all the elders of the kingdom, and they get to work right away revamping the city. Yeah, and this means mostly tearing down the high places. Yeah. Because that was always the real problem all along. Yeah, if you read this out of context, I mean, it feels like you could be reading about like Nazi Germany or like ISIS or something, because he's just like going through and like destroying all the like old temples and mm-hmm. like all the art, all the, you know, 
kind of like the history, you know, and yeah. stuff like that. And just ripping through everything, you know. Yeah. They also celebrate the Passover, which hasn't been celebrated in a super long time. And then Josiah dies in battle. Yeah. And despite the Passover, God doesn't care, and he's still going to fuck shit up mm-hmm. regardless. But he's going to wait till after Josiah is dead because he likes Josiah. Yeah. So after Josiah, Jehoahaz takes over. He's 23 years old, and he reigns for three months because he gets held captive by Egypt. and He's held for ransom. Yeah, and he dies in Egypt. Yeah. Then Jehoiakim reigns. He was evil. Take a sip. <laughs> Judah gets overrun by enemies, and the king of Babylon, who is Nebuchadnezzar, captures Jehoiakim. And he makes him like his servant for three years. And during this time, enemies overrun Judah. Yeah. And Nebuchadnezzar is kind of an interesting figure. He's another one that is verifiably an actual ruler of the Neo-Babylonian Empire. He's the second one. And he's part of the line of uh, what's called like the Chaldean dynasty. The, the Nebuchadnezzar they're referring to here is Nebuchadnezzar II, who has no relation to Nebuchadnezzar I. He is named after like his grandfather or something like that, who was not uh, ever a king of Babylon. So he's his name was chosen to kind of be, to, to, to recall another great Babylonian king, which was Nebuchadnezzar I. And he's considered the greatest ruler of the neo-babylonian empire and he does a lot of like construction and building and like expanding the empire during his reign and he did also do a similar strategy to the assyrians of resettling people and moving them around out of their different vassal kingdoms Mm -hmm. so then after jehoiakim we get jehoiachin who is 18 years old and rules for three months he was evil. Take a sip. And, but in, so, okay, somehow he rules for three months, but then in the eighth year of his reign, he becomes enslaved by Babylon. Oh, yeah. This one was was a little bit weird. So I think they're talking about, which it's kind of weird that they would do this. It seems they're talking about the eighth year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Like a lot of the stuff in this part, the timeline feels like it's based more on Nebuchadnezzar than on the King. The kings of Judah. Mm-hmm. So then Jerusalem is captured. Everything is taken out of the city. Only the poor people are left. And then Jehoiakim's uncle is made king. And the king of Babylon renames Jehoiakim's uncle to Zedekiah. So then Zedekiah is 21 when he takes over Judah. He reigns for 11 years. and He's evil. Take a sip. Then the, oh, so then Zedekiah rebels against Babylon. Yeah, so Matania, who is the uncle of Jehoiachin, is only 21 years old, which is like really interesting considering that he's the uncle to an 18-year-old. Yes. And yeah, from here, basically Zedekiah is uh, taken captive um, after he like escapes the city initially. And they force him to watch his kids be murdered. And then once he's seen that, they poke his eyes out, they feather him, and then they take him back to um, to Babylon, 
to basically stay in captivity for the rest of his days. And yeah, then they come through, they basically sack Jerusalem, take all the precious metals and put to death anybody who's like politically important. So priests, uh, counselors to the kings and stuff like that. Then Gedalia is made the governor in his place. So he's appointed by Babylon. And a bunch of the former captains of Judah, they approach him and they're worried about the Chaldean officials. So the Chaldeans are, they're an ethnic group from which uh, Nebuchadnezzar actually comes from. They're kind of like historically obscure. They don't really show up a whole lot, but they were like one of the many ethnic groups that makes up the entirety of the Babylonian empire. So they're worried about them. And so he tells them, like, don't be worried about it. Just kind of do what Babylon says and everything's going to be fine. And they don't like that. So then they come and they, or Ishmael, who's one of the the captains that they're referring to, comes and kills him and then also kills the Chaldeans and anybody who's, like, with him in his court. And then they flee to Egypt. And that's kind of it for that story. And then the last story we end on, which is a strange story to end this in entire like timeline on is Jehoiachin released from prison. So it's like the 37th year in the 12th month. So, and also these like towards the end of second Kings, we get like way more specific dates for no real good reason. Yeah. But it's the 37th year in the 12th month on the 27th day of Jehoiachin's exile. He's released from prison and he is treated very kindly by <laughs> the king of Babylon, who is no longer Nebuchadnezzar. He is named Evil Meridak <laughs> and is apparently a real nice he's guy. Honestly, not that bad. <laughs> but so optional sip here. <laughs> yeah, and just kidding. They didn't really realize you are Judah. Like I said, this perspective that the priests have of Babylon is is fairly positive. Mm-hmm. Very strange though that he's getting such good treatment and and is being said to like have had kind of a good life towards the end considering his eyes were poked out. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, they're feeding him well. Yeah. So that's it for second Kings. Big takeaways. You get a bunch of mostly bad Kings and a couple of good ones. And once again, God has flipped his lid and decided to wholesale reject the Israelites And next we're going to go into Chronicles and see where this exile takes them. Mm -hmm. Bye, y'all. Bye.